0: delighted that you've decided to tune in and rejoin us we've got some absolutely fantastic content coming your way so all that's left to say is sit back relax and enjoy this episode welcome to driven by data the podcast season three today i'm delighted to be joined by Vijay yadav who is the director of Quantitative Sciences, Digital Data and Analytics at Merck. So Vijay, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Carl.
0: So great to be here.
1: I'm so excited for our conversation.
0: No, i the uh, pl- pleasure is all mine and I'm I'm looking forward to this. So um, where we always start, Vijay, as you probably know, is by asking our guests to give themselves a brief introduction into their background and I guess journey up until this point, if you'd be so kind.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, so,
1: Vijay Yado, I come by trade um, uh, in computer science applied side of it, uh, operations research, uh, you know, numerical methods, statistical analysis. Uh, that's what my educational background was there. Um, and I was I moved to US, uh, you know, twenty plus years ago. And the first assignment that I, I had was. Um, you know, the commercial operation side of pharmaceutical company. And that was the big data at the time. We didn't call the big data. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about any time a doctor writes a script, um, you you, a transaction is created, saved a doctor writes a script. So we're talking about now it's a more number of records, but at that time, close to 55 million records a month, okay. uh, where you look at the data and understand, you know, what the doctors are writing whether a, a pharma company or their companies and which regions the doctors are writing from what kind of uh, patients that they are basically writing for right so you can take that analysis and uh, understand and you you can put your market capture wherever you want to roll out to sales web um, to do that right so very fascinating a lot of forecasting models where do we think where the trend is happening of the product growth and things of that nature. Uh, uh, That was my first exposure with the data. As I moved along, uh, there are different business functions I was able to apply. We didn't call data science at the time, but it was very heavy data engineering, data modeling, and uh, developing the insights and business intelligence was more on that. Some of the forecasting model did use AI ML, but primarily it was uh, business intelligence. So I moved to uh, different business function, applied, uh, developed different solutions. Uh, Prior to joining Merck, uh, I was with a company called Buckman International, a chemical uh, company, where uh, Buckman basically makes the digital solution. Um, And imagine you are selling a chemical, but you want to sell a solution that, hey, how much chemical you need to apply in a plant? So not only I'm selling chemical, but I'm also selling a solution where it can tell you when and how much quantity you need to apply of chemical. So basically it is reading the real-time IoT chemistry from the water plant. The data is coming real-time to a controller. Controller has a model, and basically it it, it tells you what to take an action on. Um, pretty cool stuff. Um, and you won't imagine you know, being in industrial space applying those kind of solutions, but that was very fascinating. And I was part of the team, basically developed some of the models in that space. I joined Merck, uh, you know, four years ago and um, um, it has been quite a journey um, in this space. I can tell you that, you know, one of my, other than the commercial operations and other business function, one, I was very fascinated by the process, why process fail, any business process you take it you know, you go and implement it and everybody complains about that, right? So one of my research work I did was that, um, understand the process, data behind the process as to where the bottleneck is, where it's getting stopped, And that was very fascinating work that you can really understand the data and you can literally simulate in the lab before you implement it. Uh, So that was very data driven process work that I I did. Um, But the journey, um, my data journey has been right from the beginning in the data. Of course, a different you know ups and downs, a different business function to apply. But uh, happy to be part of this this transformation uh, space, and uh, there's a lot to be done. Um, but I'm excited about the future.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for the uh, for the for the overview there. I guess for anyone out there that isn't that familiar with Merck just give us a very high level overview of who Merck are and what Merck do if you would. Sure uh so what Merck is
1: one of the leading biopharma company and if you if you uh uh, if someone wants to really identify Merck with some of the key products that uh, uh, Merck has is Keytruda. Uh, It is one of the leading um uh, immunotherapy uh uh, best product uh, for the uh, oncology, for the cancer. Uh, Gardasil, almost everybody knows in every part of the world, um, Gardasil is for HPV vaccine. Uh, it is one of the products. Genovia is another product and it uh, there are other vaccines. So it's a primarily focused on vaccine and biologics products uh, quite a bit. And uh, Merck is doing some, you know, transformational journey in, in data space. So uh, very excited to be part of the, the journey within Merck.
0: Nice, nice. So obviously your um, role at Merck, I guess what 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 are you there to to do? And I guess what have you been tasked with achieving? You know, what's the what's the end goal, if you will, of, of your transformational yeah. journey at Merck?
1: Absolutely. So I would say Merck uh, is fortunate in a situation to be in where the demand for the product is much more than what they can produce today. Um and of course, you know, setting up the new plant, it it takes time, right? But I think the challenge for, for us in, in data space is that, okay, where can we apply AI ML to improve the existing plant or operations we have so we can produce more product, right? So so that's a that's a good challenge to have, right? Where the demand is higher than you can produce, right? So uh, I am primarily, my team is focused on applying the advanced analytics and machine learning and AI to one of the areas that improve the yield, right? So so if you're not able to produce enough, what can we basically do? So look into end-to-end process and see where opportunity arises, and leverage the data to to gain that. And one example I can can give you very much is that. So think about the way FDA works in here in US and everywhere else. Uh, Regulatory bodies require that every uh, unit of pharma, uh, product must be inspected by humans or by machines, right? So, um, and of course, humanity is not possible. So you have to use machines for um, uh, inspecting that. So, um, as you go through the process, these machines are taking the picture of the um, in a product and the assembly line, and determining whether something is effective or not. Um, automated vision machines; um, those machines are not using any kind of AI ML. They are very rule-based model to detect that. And of course, you have to be very, very conservative in approach that you want to make sure that none of the defective product get into the good lot. Unfortunately, you know, there are going to be false agents, right? Um, that means the good product getting thrown out as a defective, mm-hmm. right? So if you can go and apply AIML to capture those, not a good product getting thrown out as a defective, that's a huge, you know, business driver, right? At the time when it's getting ejected at the very end, everything has been invested the raw material, the, the you know, people time, machinery time, everything else. It At the very end, you just get ejected and you cannot bring it back. This, the process doesn't allow you to do that. So once it's gone, you have to basically throw it away. It's a very strong business case. So I work on, I, I led a product team for developing some of the AI ML-driven solution for that. So similar to that and the supply chain um, you know, uh, areas and overall operations point of view, right? So if something is getting ejected at the end, I should be able to figure out where upstream process impacting that, right? Is there anything we can do upstream fix it so we then don't get that amount of ejection at the end, right? So uh, a very strong use case, uh, quite a bit work to be done, uh, but those are some of the examples uh, my team is focused on.
0: Yeah. Yeah, nice. No, um I mean it makes makes sense, doesn't it, given the the scale of production at a business like Merck that's even you know a one percent efficiency gain or you know, um n- making sure that product isn't lost on that on that assembly line is um huge from a from a business value standpoint, right? Absolutely, so, yeah. Absolutely. So obviously Vijay you I mean you and I have have spoken on and off um for for several months now um and I guess think about a lot of these things in very similar ways um hence the conversation you know started on LinkedIn and so forth and so on but I guess there's there's a lot of talk in the industry about the notion that you know the starting point for any successful data analytics initiative um should be to start with the business objectives or the business KPIs or the business strategy or whatever you want to call it, and then work backwards from that. However, um, as we've discussed many a times, it doesn't always work like that. And it's obvious that it doesn't always work like that because... There's all this also on the other side of that coin. All this debate around, you know, how businesses aren't getting value out of data and why there's you know, such a, a failure rate in in quotation marks. So, why why do you think that, although we know the theory, the practicality and reality of the situation is different?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, doesn't make it sense really. It does make sense that you know you want to use the data to meet your strategic objective, and. You know, just in the philosophy of that theory, the very basic idea, of a fundamental, is that you know you want to be using data to meet your business objective. If the company wants to grow a customer base, the company wants to grow more yield, the company wants to improve efficiency. Does not it make sense to to have that because that way you can measure your measure your performance exactly on those points? And imagine opposite side of that, if you're not applying that, then you might be doing the work that has no impact. You have no basis for making the impact. So it absolutely makes sense to go that way. Unfortunately, that is not the real case scenario. And there are multiple regions and it depends on, on the company, right? Whether the company is you know coming to, in a very prior 150 years old and you know, there's a whole philosophy behind the culture that basically comes in. Company who's are digitally born, the company who just born, let's say after two thousand ten, right? I think they are thinking in that direction because that's where they basically started. But the company who are not digitally born, there could be multiple regions for for doing that, right? One one is the short term point of view, right? Think about every company is trying to think next quarter. I got to meet my quota. This is what I'm basically you know doing. That give me give me this and give me that, right? So that. That could be a, a reason and that, that's unfortunate, right? So I would say, yeah, of course, it is important for us to look at the next quarter, next six months. But at the same time, you've got to be looking, I almost, almost you have to have a parallel path. One is your short term objective, but also you look into the, what you want to do uh, next point of view. So I would say that it is a short term point of view um, uh, in majority of the situations, right? The other reason could be initially, so yeah, a strategy. So the lack of data leadership, right? So who should be defining that? Who should be even driving that top level, you know, discussion with the business leaders, right? Do we have a data leader who can be on the table? So majority of the time, if if the data leaders is not on the table, really to make that piece, then you're going to get that gap, right? So so there's a whole lack of data leadership being on the table. And also the business part of thinking this thinking, right? So think about it's not the data leader responsibility just to think about the data. It's a business leadership, the C suite. They got to be thinking that, you know, that's how it should be basically done, right? So I would say that, yeah, ideally that's how it should be done, but it's happening for one reason, short term point of view, uh, lack of data leadership, or the business not, you know, uh, being part of that journey understanding you know what it would take to be successful um things of that nature so those are some of the key regions I, in my opinion
0: mm, yeah absolutely i know i've seen you talk before i think on on linkedin and obviously when we've kind of delved into the detail around your thought process on this but um you kind of have this train of thought around data leadership and you know should be ingrained into the business and you use the analogy of the car and you know the the driver's seat the passenger seat the the, the trunk um and really getting to understand what the business wants but allowing the business to to drive that just talk us through that because that's a really interesting kind of concept and an analogy
1: no thank you i think um. Thank you for uh, reminding me that. I think that's a good analogy. So think about a digital transformation is, is, is a journey. It is never a destination. We, we, um, and if you are traveling in, in a journey, let's say you got a bus, let's call that bus is a transformation bus, right? So there, there are basically uh, uh, certain places people can sit, four places. One is the driver's seat. One is the passenger seat that's next to the driver. And then you've got a bunch of back rows. And you got a trunk right so the way i think and this is a good analogy for the question that you asked earlier right so so let's understand who sits where so it's a very tendency you know technology people and data people i mean we and i have been you know victim of that uh, you know thinking as well but i think my thinking has changed over a period of time so we talked with the business um, and say we understand business, this is what you want in 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 terms of requirement document. So I said, okay, I understand. I'm going to take the driver's seat as a data leader, technology leader. Then my project manager, other people sitting on, on my next to me, um, you know, sitting on the on the driver's seat. And then we got all the bunch of people, you know, the architects, the business analysts, and you know, some the people on the back rows. And the only place left by the time is, is the trunk. As a business, you know what? I want to be relaxed, um, you know, not relaxed. You know, who's ever the driver? He said, you know, you sit in this one, this only space left, and we are going to drive the bus right where we want to go. You go at the end. You thought we reached to the destination. You open, everybody comes out. The business says, what the heck happened? Where <laughs> I am this is not where I I told you to be there. And, you know, the driver says, and imagine in, in the journey, who do you blame if you went to the wrong destination? right? The data leaders, the guy who was driving the bus, right? To do it. Now at the time, the business says, I gave you the requirement. This is not what I meant. And, you know, person said, no, this is what you told me to do. I said, yeah, let's look at the requirement document. He said, is everything plain English, right? And then you, you said, well, that's not why I intended to say that, right? right? So the intention of what I said in English is not exactly what I, I meant, right? To do that. Now think about that analogy. If the business was somewhere in the bus, you know, if you saw where you're going, before you get to the destination, you should be part of the journey and you should be looking. Am I going the wrong direction? Right. If I'm part of the journey, right? I would ideally see that the business in the driver's seat. Now, it's a very different you know, philosophy. Business say, no, that's not my, I don't want to drive that bus, right? And sometimes you've got to make maybe business on, on the on the passenger side, sit next to me, let's drive together, right, to do that. And, you know, maybe one round or two round, it becomes comfortable. So the the moral of the story is that the business has to be in the driver's seat, at least not on the driver's seat, start with the passenger seat, be the journey and you tell where you are because journey is never going to be straight directions, right? And if the business is in the driver's seat, so where is the role of the data leader? That's where you are in the passenger seat. You are driving, you are navigating through that, right? The piece. And you use all the people back in the back rows, and your toolbox is in the trunk. Mm-hmm. That is a place that basically belongs, right? So it's an analogy that is uh, literally that is how it should be done. And there are there are regions, this is not how it is being driven today. But I think those companies were successful, that's a philosophy they're adopting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, I guess what'd be interesting to try and understand from you, Vijay, then is obviously you said that you'd been, you know, guilty of that yourself, right? You trying to drive the car while the business is in the trunk because you think that you know where they want to want to go, but you over time your your thinking has changed around that. Was there a a kind of point in time or a specific moment in time that instigated you to kind of now take a different view on that analogy?
1: Oh, absolutely. So every time what, what happened is that, you know, my team, I thought we understood what, what they want, right? We talked to them, had the requirement document, and then basically went and multiple times it basically went. I would say that once you put the system into the place and users are not using it, I said, wait a minute, what exactly happened? Why it is not being adopted, right? To do that, so I would say my lessons were learned in the hard way, right? When you and those are some of the failure points, right? So think about you work on something for six months and a year, and we we know we're excited, everybody's excited, and you go in in production, and, and nobody's buying it, nobody using it, right? So I would say you know it was a long time ago. One of the use cases that I, I I I did was. Um, we, went, we spent quite an amount of time, almost a year on a, on a, on a project, and then we, we we went live. We heavily, heavily invested in a project, actually, and it didn't succeed. And one of the key points was that what we thought the customer wanted, we couldn't really translate their intention into that. So one of the experiments I, I do, so to me, the way I, I solve and think about any business problem is so the business problem is never, and so how do we solve the requirement document? What do you do different now, right? So think about a business problem, it is never in isolation. So somebody's upstream causing the problem and someone downstream getting impacted. So you want to really understand the, the point of failure, the people who are getting impacted, but you also want to connect with the value chain upstream and who are the potentially people you want to do and, and downstream. So look at the whole value chain now and, and and this value chain the people are uh, stakeholders have a different interest there are common group of people who have one interest and there is another set of people who have a different interest and so on vertically also the senior management and middle management of people in the bottom they also have a different a kind of interest right so you want to be talking to not one or two or three people and write requirement document and requirement document never have has the intention, right? So when you talk and you 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 capture, let's say mock-up, right? Have a very, you know, low fidelity, high fidelity, a kind of layout design. And I force users to be part of that discussion in a group of people with a common interest. Let them talk, let them show their intention in capture, even a draw napkins, right? To do that. If you take that, that is what it basically makes the capture of those intents And of course you can document in a different way rather than requirement document, right? Um, and make them part of the journey. So my philosophy and my use case is that I develop solution not for the customer, not for the user, but with the customer, with the users, right? And that is a part of the journey, right? So you want to be it's more like agile and they're part of the journey. Now they cannot come at the very end and say, Uh, this is not what I wanted, right? Because they have been part of the journey. Unfortunately, in the majority of the cases, you take the project point of view, right? Hey, endpoint, give the requirement document, six months, we're going to deliver that to you. And customer users are not part of the journey. And I think that becomes a kind of, uh, you know, a region for for failure at the very end. Mm,
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess, so where does the responsibility lie then who who does the responsibility lie with to get this right because i think often um as you said you know you've used that word intention right and 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 i don't think um you know when data leaders or data people are speaking with the business often there's a a misalignment just of of knowing what's possible right you know so often it's a case of hey we we want this And if it's not delved into, you go away and you produce that and you bring it back and it's gone, that's not quite right. Or can we, can we have this as well? And, you know, then people are sat there getting frustrated going, well, why didn't you tell me you wanted that (laughs) at the start? Right. So, um, I know that you've, you know, been vocal again on places like LinkedIn about how data leaders are often guilty of, you know, mystifying data for business leaders and, and business consumers, um. How and why do you think this has happened? And do you think there's a correlation then between why that kind of business understanding or lack thereof is, is prevalent?
1: Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, that's a really great question. So I think so. Think about the majority of the data leaders. You know, we come from technology background, right? And I think when internet thing in early 2000s started, right? All the technology people kind of guards, these are the people who are superhuman. They understand <laughs> the technology, right? Yeah. And the business at the time, they said, you know, guys, you you know technology. You are really good at that. We'll tell you what we want. You just go and do it. It is not our responsibility. And we'll focus on what we basically want to do that, right? And those are the, that culture of thinking has basically come over the decades in the similar fashion where businesses, you are the guards of technology and data. You do things. I'll tell you what to do. And there's a disconnect um, there as well, as we talked about that, right? So I think the the time has changed, and I, I use the word digitally born companies, right? So the CEOs were really they are part of the journey. They are thinking in a very data terms. Those are the company who are much more engaged. They understand technology, so they are part of. They are in 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 the in the middle of everything that is basically taking place. So I would say that you know, it is historical region. That is how it basically has come. Those companies were digitally born. Those are more very data technology savvy. So I would say that technology and data is no more, you know, land off only the people who are IT background and data background. You got to be thinking, any business leader should be thinking that today you're in the business of data in support to main business of the line that you're basically promoting. So if if you're in pharma business, you're no longer only in pharma business, you just won't be thinking. You should be thinking how the data can help you in that. right. So lay out that success story, applying yourself rather than living on the data leader that, hey, you go and define, right? So I think that are some of the kind of mindset that have basically shifted over a period of time. It is changing. Uh, Those companies were born new and those new data leaders are coming to the place. But I think we still, we have a long way to go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's a really interesting point because um, as, as you know, from some of our dialogues previously, um, I think again, there's kind of a misalignment here of, um, of knowledge, expectations, you know, all sorts of, of things, because I think, you know, everyone now, or the industry is starting to now, come to grips with the fact that even though you're a data leader your job isn't just data it's about really driving the business towards its objectives and data is just the the part of the puzzle that you own you know to help the business do that right um however unfortunately most companies still don't recruit data leaders in that way right you know so we we see it all the time in what we do for a day job where you know the business leaders don't look at the data higher they're about to make as a potential commercial value add to their business they look at this as someone that I don't know, can build some models or build some platforms because they've read a a review somewhere, right? And MIT about this business down the road that had this real good project with AI and so on and so forth, right? So I think there's, there's a real misalignment in expectations between the data community now knows that they need to be thinking more commercially and driving commercial business value through the use of data. But I'm not quite sure, unless, as you said, you know, they're a digitally born business. Legacy type businesses still probably don't look at the data possibilities in the same way, which causes that entire mismatch then, right? Um, so it's really, really interesting. So we're starting to delve into the role of people here. So, and I think that's where you and I first started talking, right? When um I'd put a, a post up on LinkedIn about, you know, how organizations should be looking at people and treating them and so on and so forth. So, you know, you, I know you're a big advocate in the industry who values and prioritizes the people and talent component over maybe some of the other process technology kind of com- combination. Um, something that I think it still confuses me how little attention gets paid to the whole people thing despite all businesses saying, you know, people are our biggest asset and all of that type of, of stuff. Was there, a, again, was there a moment in time or a, an instigating point that led you to start thinking about, well, you know, the whole success of what I'm trying to do here is underpinned by the strength and depth and capability of the team that I build?
1: Yeah, no, I I think I I, I took a very long time ago, actually. I When I look back, any success I had for any product I I develop or led uh, the teams, I could not be successful. I'm one person, right? Even I have a vision for everything, but when it comes to the execution, that is what is basically important. And you cannot execute your idea and vision unless you have people to do that. I, I just cannot do that. I have seen multiple times. Um, so I think the people have been, think about people make things happen. Your strategy, your data leadership, these are the people. process. Who develops the process? People. Technology, who develops the technology is the people. Data architecture. So literally anything enablement that you do, people are the one doing it. So if we have the right talent and all those different elements of that, that is what is going to make successful. I, I cannot emphasize enough really to to focus on on the on the people. And you know, for me, uh, you know, when I look into any leading a project, I'm really very focused on who do I have on my team? Who are the people? Coaching and mentoring has been part of the journey you know, for me. So think about why someone should work for a company and why should someone work for me? What is in for them, right? I want a talent who I can retain for a longer period of time. If I'm investing in him or her, then I want him to stay with me. So why should somebody stay with me? Number one reason. Can they say a career growth where they're staying with me? Can I show them that if you join me today, next two years or three years, this is what your career path looks like. Not majority of the places that you basically find it, right? Are they learning? So the whole idea behind people, in especially in this age in the data technology, if you're not learning almost every day, then you will be outdated fairly soon. Are we as a leader giving opportunity for people to grow, right? In in terms of knowledge itself, other than the career growth, are you learning? Are, the, are you giving opportunity to basically do that? And the whole, you know, the value proposition is that how much value they appreciate, right? So if somebody is coming to, to work for me, does that some feel like value, whatever the work they're doing? So are you appreciating them for the work that's being done? Those are the elements if we take care of that people are going to stay with you and they're going to work harder than um, than you can imagine. People are a very peculiar species on this planet. (laughs) Um, I would say that, you know, if someone is willing to, if they're motivated enough, even their eight hours full plate of work they have, they find something exciting, they will squeeze the additional work in that eight hours. But if they're not motivated, you know, they can take one thing, spend eight hours and they say, I'm sorry, BG, I cannot do anything for you, right? Do that. So I think human hum- motivation is really, really kind of is a very powerful thing. If they are motivated enough, they can do anything beyond eight hours of the work or whatever is basically needed. So I think I have seen, I have tested the success, and I, you know, I, I cannot go back on that front. Uh having the right talent and making the environment for them is what it was basically makes me successful and makes them successful and makes companies successful because all those three elements are, are coming together.
0: Mm, Yeah. It's a, it's a very, um, it's a very difficult landscape to navigate for a lot of people that hire, right. Um, However, however you want to call that, because obviously, you know it isn't their day job right so hiring people isn't your day job you've probably got a million one other things to do right you know like getting value out of data for the business objectives and, and and things like that but um ultimately you know my point has been for a long time now that the success of the data leader is directly correlated to the to the caliber and capability of the team that they can create so sometimes I wonder why more emphasis isn't put on that, you know? So for example, when we work with organizations, given what we do day to day, you know, the, the data leader might just be the person that's involved from a process perspective when it's time to interview. Right. Um, everything that comes before that is done by somebody else. Right. And often, unfortunately the, the, the somebody else's often don't have the same level of, of knowledge, um, and passion for what they're trying to sell in quotation marks right because ultimately i think that's what that's what it is right i know that we don't like the the term sell and and sales but you know there's there's a million and one jobs out there for talented data people right you know so competition is is rife um and you know you have to find a way to stand out from the crowd and um you know there's not many businesses that do that wholly well so you know if you can Play to the strengths, and and I think you know I've had this conversation um, very recently on a, on another podcast. But you know the desires and wants and needs of the data community has changed. I think quite a lot over the last five years. You know, five years ago it was how much are you going to pay me? Is it an exciting project? Am I going to get to play with some good technology? Right? I think a lot of those people have now been burnt or feel hard done by because they've gone into environments where. You know, they told it was data driven in quotation marks and very quickly realized, actually, you know, the the work that I'm doing, once it's off my desk, I, I never see it again. I don't know if it's good, if it's bad, if it's ugly, if it's used, if it's not, etc. So I keep coming back to these three kind of key components of visible, valuable, and impactful. And if you as a data leader can show that the work that these people will be doing has an impact and there's a purpose behind it, then, you know, that immediately puts you on a pedestal above, above every other organization. Cause again, unfortunately, most of the businesses are out there saying, you know, we need a data scientist with all this tech and that's it. You know, there's no, there's no kind of selling of the bigger picture, the bigger purpose. So you're absolutely, you're absolutely right in that. And I think, you know, the, the strength of the team, the retention of the team, are they learning all of that type of, of, of stuff, did you learn that the hard way, VJ, or is that something that you've just always been kind of tuned into?
1: I think I, I learned hard way. Okay. Uh, I, I must, yeah, no. I think majority of my experience comes, you know, and sometimes if you are, you face that wow, something happened. You know, why the heck happened? And you go back and I look at the table where things basically went wrong. So I would say my experience has been a hard way. You know, I have not been successful in every scenario. I won't claim that, um, and. Uh, I think the, what I realized um, uh, I mean my career that you know having the right talent um and give them opportunity um, to the to the level that people want to come and work for me. I mean, I want to have that kind of its you know and um I have been able to you know, bring so one of the element that any data leaders is is not the people directly reporting to you because you'll be working with the people who are, outside your control, outside your organization in a cross-functional way, and why a cross-functional team member should work, want to work with you, right? So it's even even for them, even they're not directly reporting to you, what is that incentive basically want to to create? So I would say, you know, I have learned all this thing in, in a hard way, but I think going forward, for me, I can literally see in front of my eyes that if I don't do it, I'm not likely to succeed. And it starts me there.
0: Mm, Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great position to be in, right? Because if you get a reputation as an individual and also an organization, as an employer that, you know, has a great team of people that others can learn from, provides opportunity for them to grow and develop, you know, it's kind of self-perpetuating then, right? You know, you get people attracted to that as opposed to you and the organization constantly having to be going, looking for people. So
1: yeah, yeah no, Absolutely. And I, I'll give one example in a very specific scenario. So if somebody is working for me and I'm looking for a growth for that team member as a leader, necessarily if I cannot find that role and I, I know that this person is ready for the next level, I'm happy to take this person and promote him within different teams outside my team, right? At the next level, I'll find someone else. But I promise is for him to or uh, her to, to get to the next level. If I don't have opportunity, I don't have to stick with this person. Let me give opportunity for that person to go somewhere else and hire someone else, right? And that's not that kind of philosophy is everywhere. I mean, sometimes leaders can't be insecure. If this guy is doing the work, why the heck I want to let let, let him or her go? I mean, culture like that is makes a huge difference, right? And I've done multiple times. It's not one time to basically do it
0: yep yeah absolutely no I couldn't agree more. um so obviously we've we've talked about the relationship with data and the business and um you know putting business the business in the driving seat and the, the some of the challenges around understanding what they actually want and what their intention is. We've obviously then gone into how that's all underpinned by the quality of the team that you build and putting people first and etc, cetera, etc cetera. um I think that ties quite nicely into the cultural element that, you know, um, there's, it seems like a, a million debates a day on LinkedIn, right. About culture and how do we change it and how do we transform it? And, um, you know, how do we create that culture of data across the organization? So, um, obviously I know that's something again, that you're, you know, have, of quite a, a, a poignant point of view on. So what, what are the core components for you, VJ, in terms of creating that data culture across the organization,
1: yeah, no, I mean that's a that's a really a burning point in in the industry today. I would say that we just kind of change the culture, and people use the term change, and I say no, changing is that's not the right word. I would say shape the culture, right? How do we shape it? It's more like you got a big Titanic, you know, ship going you just kind of turn, you know, the knob and it just go in. it it takes basically time. So your angle shaping is is what is basically needed. So how do we shape the culture of an organization, right? There's no switch. I'm, if I'm looking for a switch to turn it on, it just won't happen, right? It has to be organically uh, kind of embedded as part of the, you know, in a very holistic way, in a planned way, right? So, and it has to be, you know, bottom up and top down both. Somewhere in, you, you need to middle, uh, meet in the in the ground actually, uh, somewhere in the middle. Now, if we, so think about what the basically uh, the whole data mindset a culture is. So if everybody using, I, I would say, uh, uh, when a decision's being made, is it made on on the of data or someone's just, you know, point of view and experience they basically bring in? The day one, the senior management of people in the top are sending the signal that every decision that's being made, it must be based on data. That is what basically sends. So that I think there are some, some signals, you know, top-down approach, that's what basically comes in there. What I have found in my experience, sometime if you, and data literacy is part of that whole piece, right? So literacy word, I, I, I don't like it. You know, sometimes you say literacy mean like, are people illiterate? You want to create, so I would I would rather use the term data fluency, right? So if the data fluency meaning if you are making a decisions based on a data, not anything else. If that signal is coming from the top, that is going to make the big difference, right? Um, the other element is that what is the organic way to bring people together that everybody believes the data has the value. People believe in things when they see with their own eyes, when they see the success with their own eyes as an evidence, right? Can we bring people together to show them what data can do for them, right? Let them see the success and say, you know what? If the data can add the value here, why not here? So I think the data community is a really, really big component. I'm a big proponent of that data community and I built one in work. I have built in prior companies as well. Where you bring the talent of the people cross-functionally, across technologies and not only data people, the technology and the business. Um, and how do we engage them? You know, have an expo, have a data symposium, data science symposium, showcase the work that's being done. When people see that this how it's being applied, that's when light bulb really goes on. Um, to do that, so in my opinion, the biggest factor to impact data culture. In a company is build a strong data community. And work is big in that space. And I'm part of that, you know, a team making that. But for any organization, I think having a data community is strong. And I can talk more on that topic, how to build one. That in that in itself is a big topic. But building a data community is a very uh it's organic way to change the culture over, over a period of time.
0: Mm. Yeah absolutely give us i know i'm conscious of, of time vj because we're kind of approaching 45 minutes in and but i'd love to before we leave just delve into that community piece just just a little bit i know it probably won't do it justice because it could be its own podcast in its own its own right right but um just give us some of the the kind of practical tips and and tricks that that you've done, some of the the things that you've done it within Merck that have allowed that to to happen, you know, from a uh, actual physical perspective.
1: Yeah, no. So there are there are four elements of that data community, the four objectives that has to be. So number one region is you want to bring people together, technical, non technical, almost entire company, to collaborate and share their experience. So if I'm data, you know. Uh, data scientist, uh, All the data scientists within the company should be able to understand, uh, share with each other's knowledge, right? Also the people who are on the business side of that, they can share, they have a forum where they can share their success stories so other people can basically see it. So number one component of that, anything you want to do is the exchanging and sharing the, the knowledge that we have within the company. There's a huge tremendous knowledge in the company if you want to be harvested on that, that's a really key element. The second element is the problem solving. So we got a talent, let's bring people together, just just take an idea and just bring people together the business side of it, IT, uh, you know, data people, take a small problem and solve together, right? And have a proof of concept, a proof of value, a good way to do it, and once either it is proven, you can basically industrialize the solution. Hmm. So solving the problem, getting the talent together is a, the, element. the
0: is, third is that, element. Sorry to interject. Is is that almost like a, a workshop or like a little hackathon type of? That's thing right. That,
1: yeah. That's yeah. A, absolutely. So in Merck, we we hold hackathon on a very regular basis, and we are solving the real problem, getting the right. people. This hmm. is beyond this is beyond their regular job that basically they are doing. And I can tell you the majority of, and I have been led uh, incubation of multiple ideas through this me- methods, actually. Bringing people together, having the hackathon, let the team compete for the solution. And, you know, there are so many good ideas come out that. So if there are four teams came up with a different solution for the same problem, at the end of, you know, you declared the winner, but at the post hackathon uh, workshop, you take all the different good ideas for different teams, and you now you have a data product using those good of those, and you basically industrialize the solution, right? Um, so th- that's how the the new idea that basically comes, uh, you can leverage that piece of work, you know, to come up with the new ideas. That's a very, very strong, and very uh, valuable method of you know coming with the new ideas. Right. So that was number two. Uh, do you have any other question I, before I go to the number three mm-hmm. and four? No, no, no. No, that's fine. So number three is the region idea I want to data community is upscaling, right? So if someone is certain level of data fluency, how can we bring it to the next level? Provide them a training program, a workshop for almost every audience is out there, depending on where they are. So upscaling um, is really part of that data community element of that, right? So... Uh, not only the training but also mentorship. If somebody is a data scientist, they want to be a next level data leader, let's create a mentorship program and enroll the people based on what they want to do in their career and bring some people experience who can mentor them. That's a three to six month program which is based on the real project and you be part of the journey and mentor them to the next level, right? So, that is pretty powerful uh, stuff in upscaling space. And the last one is, I would say the digital mindset. We talked about de- de- data you know, culture. There's no switch. This is the kind of thing that you want to focus on, showcasing the work that's being done within the company to entire company. That is how what the data mindset a culture basically shift. And I can tell you the hackathon, some of the hackathon I led, I invited people from the business, They're not contributing to the teams. They're just being part of the team to just see what is happening, right? How they are being leveraged. And after the hackathon is over and say, oh my goodness, this is such a powerful thing. I want in next hackathon, you pick up my problem of the data, the next hackathon I'm willing to give my use case, right? Because now they can see it. So even somebody is not contributing in a team for the hackathon, just put them, let them watch, it's pretty powerful stuff to change the mindset of the people because they can see the success with their own eyes. So I would say those are the four key elements of any data community you want
0: to create. Mm, yeah. So last question from me on this then. Is this something that kind of has its own strategy or curriculum or whatever you want to call it? And is there kind of a an assigned Pot of money or budget to to run these things is that does that kind of fall under the the data um you know kind of capabilities PNL type of, of of setup?
1: Yeah, now I think the at least at work we are now so I led the data community for manufacturing division, um but now we are uh, starting at the the network level, right? Like, um, to do that, so there's a whole initiative going on where the funding is available and we need people to, to moderate, right? So it's not, so far, I think we have been, you know, running this on a volunteer basis, but if you want to have a sustainable kind of data community, you got to have people who can basically run and coordinate and, and moderate that that piece, that discussion. So imagine if we have a, as part of this community, a forum where people can pose the question and somebody data expert can answer the question, right? What an opportunity for that, if I'm new to, a company. I said, hey, where can I do this? And within a few minutes, you see, you get the answer. Right? that is kind of collective forum you want to provide that. And in order to run those kind of things, you need people, um, a team to manage that. And um, the funding is definitely part of that as well. Mm. And it has a certain structure. It's, it's, it's not like here's a community and people meet. I mean, there's a formal structure that is basically uh, provided. Um, there are people, the steering committee, the people uh, are, who are a steward for the community, the, uh, the decision-making bodies, and and there you want to bring the representation from a different part of the company as as more like a core team, right? Do those. so those are some of the elements for formal form structure to do it.
0: Yep. Yep. Perfect. Well, Vijay, look, it's been a fascinating conversation, um, as is always the case when we uh, when we get to speak. So, yeah, I think that kind of wraps us up, you know, modern day data leadership, um, business, people and culture. Right.
1: That's right. Absolutely. No.
0: Perfect. That's Perfect. Nice. Well, thank you very much for your time, Vijay. It's been an absolute pleasure and um, we look forward to uh, speaking to you again soon.
1: Thank you so much, Kyle, to having me. And uh, I'm really looking forward to our future collaboration. and. You are one of the data voices and I'm always excited to talk to you and learn from
0: you. Oh, I appreciate that. We'll speak soon. Thank Cheers. you. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow our group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.